The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, thank you, Tom. How are you doing this evening? Good, Father. Thank you for being here tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. It's good to see you. You too. Father, it's been some time since we delved into the email inbox, so I thought we could go that route tonight. We have a great email here that should make for a good discussion. This one is concerning Catholic wage. So first of all, Father, could you define what is the Catholic wage, and is that synonymous with the just wage? Yes, the Catholic wage would be the just wage. The Church has... Her social teaching, as you know, Tom, and uh, that social teaching is very well said. It should not be confused with the modernist teaching of the Novus Ordo, okay? They, they have their own social gospel. When we talk about the social teaching of the church, we're not talking about the social gospel. And the, the fundamental difference is that, the, uh, that modernism is about this world, right? And you notice that uh, in the Novus Order, the New Order, which is basically the modernist religion, uh, now prevailing in the Vatican, everything is about this world, okay? But the true social teaching of the Catholic Church is the application of the moral law to uh, employer and employee relations. And, and just you know, we're talking about... Um, uh, wage earners who actually use their time and their uh, knowledge um, to be productive, to earn something for which they're paid. Right? They're paid a, a wage. And, um, of course, you know, these days, uh, talking about this is very topical because it brings in, you know, Marxist socialism, communism, uh, radicalism, leftism, all of these isms have piled on to talk about social justice. And uh, they it often are not only a, a, a radical departure from, but they're absolutely uh, opposed to the Catholic social doctrine. Uh, the Catholic social doctrine is based upon uh, the, the Christian social order that is based upon the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is teachings with regard to justice, right? And uh, the Catholic wage, as defined by, and that is the just wage, as defined by Pope Leo XIII, in his encyclical Rerum Novarum, uh, and also then 40 years later by uh, Pope Pius XI in the encyclical Quadragesimo Anno, has to do with paying um, those workers uh, a just wage. And... The church understands that to be a wage that is a living wage, which enables them to support themselves, and if they have a family, to support themselves with their family, in such a way that they are not uh, suffering great, great want, but they have what they need to live comfortably, and um, they also, by dint of um, savings and uh, reasonable sacrifice can save also um, have some savings put aside as well 
<clears throat> this is considered by the church to be the minimum minimum of what someone should be should be paid. But generally, when the church talks about a living wage, she's generally talking about families, because the church's understanding of those who are are working in the world and earning wages is that the vast majority of them are going to be raising families. They're going to have families of their own, and uh, they have to provide for those families. This is in stark contrast to the modern age, which is re largely uh, rejecting the idea of family, at least the, the leftists and the liberals, uh, and the, the legal system of the day, driven by leftists and liberals and socialists. <clears throat> the idea of abortion has completely uh, destroyed the idea of the relationship between man and woman in true love and in marriage and in family as being the life-giving institution which exists to give life. <clears throat> now it is about each individual just being fulfilled and happy uh, for the time being, right, and having what they, what they want um, personally, okay? It's not a vocation as such as it is a gratification. That's all, that's all it is, the married state anymore. Um, and it's something uh, very much temporary so that they can seek their fulfillment and their happiness wherever they want. Okay, if they're not getting it in one place, they will go find it from someone else. So the idea of the integrity of the family has is, is, uh, been very much undermined by these, li well, liberalism. We, we did a show on liberalism. Liberalism is at the root of all of these other isms, okay? Um, because it all starts with a system of belief, and then it puts it into practice. And liberalism is the, the fundamental belief. Actually, you might say that liberalism itself is animated by the beliefs of naturalism and rationalism. But liberalism is the idea that we live our lives without any reference to God and his moral law, especially in public life. We have, we not only do not have to obey God and His moral law, we have to not obey Him. We have to disregard Him in our public life. And so this has uh, done great damage to all of human society because it has poisoned the very idea of the family. Uh, when Catholic doctrine talks about, Catholic social teaching talks about the living wage, she's primarily talking about the support of the family. Okay, and Father, a couple of questions. If you're uh, defining the Catholic wage as a living wage, a wage to support a family, um, how first of all, how does that how would that translate into a say a uh, a lower level job, an entry level job, where someone is just getting their foot in the door? Maybe this isn't meant to be their career. It's just a way to earn some money. It's an entry level job. How how would one determine a a Catholic a just wage for that? And also. If you're saying this this living wage, if this is meant to uh, enable one to support his family, should there be a different pay scale for those who have a family and those who do not have a family? Mm -hmm. Well, the church would actually say yes, actually, in terms of um, what it, what is necessary for a person. I know it's against the modern wisdom because if you do the job, you should get paid for the job regardless of what obligation, what responsibilities you have, according to modern wisdom. Is that a matter of justice or a matter of charity? It's a matter of justice. Okay. It's a matter of what a person needs in order to fulfill the job. I mean, let's face it, uh, an entry-level job might not pay uh, enough to uh, 
to raise a family. And the church's understanding of that is that a person who has an entry-level job is not ready to get married and have a family yet. I mean, now, we, I guess the idea is, again, marriage is not about having families in, in a leftist socialist world, okay? Um, so the idea of uh, you know, ex expecting to have a certain income in order to even qualify to well, have the responsibility to provide for a family is kind of foreign to the world today. But the church was very concerned about that. And the priests who were preparing those for marriage would, you know, emphasize the importance that the, the, the man really, according to God's design, is the provider for the family. <clears throat> and um, it is her, his first responsibility. So he has to provide uh, the necessary education and the necessary skills in order to earn the wage that would be, would be sufficient to support his family. Now, the question is, uh, what about an employer, though? Why would an employer hire somebody um, and pay him more because the individual he's hiring has greater responsibilities? Why wouldn't the employer just think in terms of what is this man's work worth to me? and only that much, right? Well, again, there was more of a corporate, and when I say corporate understanding, I mean <clears throat> in the classic sense of the word corporate meaning body, corpus. There was more of a, a corporate understanding uh, and relationship between the employer and the employee in former days. The employee right now basically is just uh, someone to fill, fill a post, uh, get some work done, and that's all his value is. I mean, here today, gone tomorrow, uh, and um, thousands of jobs can disappear because money is not being made properly or because somebody made a bad investment or whatever. Um, thousands of pensions can, can, pensions can disappear because pension funds have been mismanaged or whatever. <clears throat> and the workers really have very little standing. But in former days, uh, the heads of companies actually took uh, actual personal concern. It, it was a part of their faith, which has largely been lost, sad to say. But it is, in, it is simply a part of, of true Christianity and Catholicism, that when you have an employer, um, you, ha you have someone who actually is personally concerned about his employees. Uh, he considers them basically part of the family. I know there's a great condemnation of slavery today, and rightly so. And rightly so. But even in the old slave societies, uh, the slaves were often considered to be uh, members of the extended family, curiously enough. And, um, uh, you know, there, there, there was, in, in, in many cases, I'm not saying with regard to slavery here in this country, in the cotton fields of the South, I'm not saying that. But if you look back, even in the old pagan society, uh, slaves were mistreated. Yes, they were slaves, right? But um, there, there was, in some, there was actually in some cases, uh, a, a sense of inclusion of slaves in the family. They were human beings that were cared for by Christians. Okay, in Christian society, that's the way it was. Uh, that's the way it should have been, anyway. Um, until finally. Um, through the agency of the true faith, I mean, uh, uh, slavery was eventually just done away with as an institution. Be careful, though, because there's 
probably as much slavery going on right now in the world as there ever has been. Islam is a great slaver, okay? Um, the greatest slave, uh, slave mechanism in the history of the world, the greatest slavery institution in the history of the world is Islam. Um, <clears throat> but also you have wage slaves. You have those who have made themselves slaves by debt. <clears throat> that uh, they they have to work many many hours just to pay off the debts that they owe. They've they've kind of indebted themselves into a kind of wage slavery. Okay, and um, so there are different forms of slavery, but they all come down to you know someone being basically uh, uh, forced labor. You know, uh, either because they're standing under the whip or because. They're standing under the threat of foreclosure or whatever, right? Um, we have to understand something about the modern society because whenever we talk about these matters of the Catholic wage, the just wage, whatever we say, unfortunately, is going to be uh, in danger of being misunderstood because people think in modern terms and not in Catholic terms, okay? And the, the modern terms definitely are not Catholic terms, okay? But people think about, they think about capitalism, uh, as as being you know slavery uh, as being trading and kind of money manipulation, and at its worst, that's what capitalism leads to, and uh, capitalism leads to debt, and capitalism leads leads to debt slavery, and uh, and inevitably it will then lead to socialism. Uh, people will sell themselves and their nation into debt and into slavery through debt. Um, so capitalism at, at its worst will lead to socialism almost inevitably. That's why you have to have morality. You have to have genuine morality tied with capitalism, in which case it really becomes a matter of uh, people pooling their resources and, and investing in uh, improvements, uh, inventions and breakthroughs and, and, uh, and uh, new med medications, uh, in new uh, appliances and all the rest, and things that that uh, contribute to uh, making life easier. Um, capitalism at its best, where it is governed by a genuine morality, can be great, very productive, and a real opportunity for those who uh, are, have been called have-nots to actually um, work themselves, and productively so, into uh, into being property owners and uh, not just uh, and work themselves out of slave uh, wage slavery. But uh, I, I would like to point out something here. Uh, recently, we talked about a, a speech given by a man named Ettore Gotti Tedeschi, the former Vatican, the head of the Vatican Bank. He was talking about the manipulation going on now. Uh, toward the New World Order and how now the podium that they're speaking from is the Vatican itself. He mentioned the uh, Vatican Academy of Sciences and Francis, he didn't mention Francis by name, but he just said the top level or the echelons of power in the church, providing this forum for them to, um, to actually bring their New World Order about. They're doing it by economics. They're trying to create an economic crisis in the world. 
which people people will blame on capitalism, with which people will blame on the the old world order, but it actually is the new world order, following Marx's principle of destroying the old for the sake of making way for the new, and the new is going to be a new form of slavery, socialism. Um, but we have to keep in mind, though, when we're talking about wages and we're talking about the economy and 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 the idea of the um, providing for families, okay, the the staple of the unit, the staple unit of all human society, in the true Catholic sense of the term, okay, um, not the family as the modernists and the liberals would like to redefine it, okay. Uh, we have to understand that socialists are not simply about. Uh, controlling the economy. Um, in order to control, they, they want to control the lives of the people. They have to, to be true socialists. Um, they even have an idea of how many people can exist in order to make a socialist society possible. And during the French Revolution, this was one of the driving forces for the extermination of thousands of people because the socialists <clears throat> who were active during the French Revolution, had a goal of wiping out a, a, quite a number of, of the uh, French population <clears throat> as a necessity, as a necessary step to establish a socialist order in France. And they said there were too many people in France in order to make that practicable. And so thousands of Frenchmen had to disappear in order to bring the population down to the level where socialism could be realized in France. And so we see there a, a connection between the idea of socialism and population control. <clears throat> that not only do socialists want to control the resources and the production of a society, but they want to control the consumers of, the, of those resources and those who are making the production happen and those who are actually consuming what they produce. They actually want to have control over the population. <clears throat> they want to have control over the numbers of people who are allowed to live in that society. Socialists want complete control over human life. Um, I mentioned the Florida Guidestones in a recent program. Georgia. Uh, in Georgia, that's right. Where um, it's it stated there that how many people are allowed to live on the face of the earth? Okay, 500 million people. Okay, far fewer than there are mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. Probably about 1 14th or 1 what they say would be one-fifteenth of the, the total number of people. So basically, 14 out of every 15 people alive have to, have to die okay, in order to reach this goal. Uh, but this is their goal, to exterminate the, the human population. But their whole idea is to drive toward a population that can sustain socialism. <clears throat> so the socialists not only, not only want to ma maintain control over production, and they have to do that by having the government in complete control. They want to control the resources, and they want to control the population. And that means the numbers of people allowed to live in their societies. And this is a, a very evil thing. See, We have this young woman who won the Democratic primary in New York, and much is being made of her because she's a Bernie Sanders socialist, you know. And these young socialist uh, people, I think she, what was she, a waitress or she was some... Uh, uh, bartender? Bartender, she was bartender. 
And that qualifies her, that qualifies her, of course, in a socialist society to be making policy, to be voting on laws and so on. And um, just as in Francis's church, if she were a bartender, that would qualify her to speak on the, the real life of bartendering as a Catholic. And so the, the bishops have to learn from her, sure. you know, what, how the church should run and what mm-hmm. doctrines we should have. In Francis's church, so in a socialist society, you find the same thing, right? Uh, the bartenders really should be the ones who, who have make policy. But, of course, there's a great deal of flutter in this about in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the press. You know, this is all great new breakthrough and all. This young bartender lady is because she's a socialist and points the new direction for the Democratic Party. Well, it, it always amazed me, uh, the naivete, if you could call it that, if it really is, of a young 20-something bartender, female bartender, who is calling for socialism, and she has no idea what she's talking about. She has no idea what she's talking about. Talk about history of socialism enslaving people. You have to talk about the history of socialism starving people. You see what's going on in Venezuela right now. And wherever socialism has taken hold, you see the effect of it. And, uh, and she's up here spouting socialism. But the whole idea of, of, of a young socialist, or even an old socialist, and that's even worse, I think, um, they should definitely know better. I mean, these young, these young socialists are coming out of our colleges, and they're imbued with the, 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 the ravings of these socialist Marxist professors now. So what do they know, right? But the old socialists should really know better. <clears throat> I mean, you have the idea, you say, well, look, business and the private sector and private profit, this is the evil, right? As Marx said, okay, private property leads to all manners of evils. That's like the original sin for Karl Marx. And we have to make that go away. And so we have to turn the control of everything, the means of production in the society, the production of things we need to live, our very food, right? Uh, food, clothing, shelter, all of these things that, that are produced, they have to be controlled by the government. Okay, that's socialism, right? The means of production. All of this has to be controlled. The economy, the entire economy has to be controlled by the government. Um, our population has to be controlled by the government, especially if we're dealing with climate change and global warming, and we're doing it. We have to control the human population. And all of those who, uh, who are going to be in control of this are the politicians. We want the politicians to control all of this. And you ask yourself, what they're saying they're worried about big business, they're worried about this, worried about that, they're worried about who's having control of these things. And they're saying the answer is to give the politicians and the bureaucrats complete control over every aspect of my life. Well, these are really the snowflakes who cannot live without being taken care of. They're used to the idea, I have to be taken care of, right? I have to be constantly protected from everything that is. This is the attitude that is being brought inculcated in, unfortunately, the college students these days. Uh, Not all of them have bought into it, but many of them have. And um, so this is forming a very, very ripe ground for socialism to spring from, and in socialism, tyranny. Uh, In order to get to this point, we had to, they had to, the leftists had to, destroy the very concept of the nuclear family, which is 
at the very beginning of God's creation, when God said to Adam and Eve, we joined them together and said, increase, multiply, and fill the earth. And all human society, uh, the, the ecclesiastical society as well as the civil society depends upon that unit for its strength and for its integrity. And so those who want to uh, create a new world order have to do away with that unit to recreate man, as it were, in their own image and likeness. Father, you know, you, you asked rhetorically, why would an employer uh, pay, pay a family man more when they could perhaps hire a single uh, employer to, to do the work at a, at a cheaper rate. And uh, from personal experience as, as an employer myself, I can, I can vouch for the fact that a family man is much more dependable than a single man because he has people to hold him accountable. He has mouse at, at home that he has to feed. Uh, if he misses a day of work, there are all these individuals, depending mm -hmm. on him, are going to hold him accountable, whereas a, a single person doesn't have that. It's much easier for them to mm -hmm. miss a day of work. But Father, you mentioned this um, this idea of the Marxist, the socialist, trying to destroy the nuclear family, and one way of uh, one way of doing that is trying to manufacture, artificially create economic conditions in the country that require uh, both members, mm -hmm. uh, both parents to work both uh, the husband and the wife, to work. And, Father, if that's happening, what is the responsibility of the, the Catholic employer to, as far as this, this Catholic wage? If, if the living wage that you mentioned is becoming higher and higher and higher, does the Catholic, the just employer, does he have a responsibility to try and keep up with that? If he can. If he can do so, yes. Unfortunately, the way things are going, though, he might face the harsh reality of saying, well, if I, I can't afford to pay you more because the company itself cannot survive higher wages, so people have to make choices. But these things are being artificially driven. Um, Father John Becker, the Mar Marinol missionary in China, was the one who pointed out that even back in the 1960s, um, uh, the economy was being driven in such a way that both the husband and the wife had to work mm -hmm. in order to survive financially. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, in a Catholic society, in fact, the uh, and according to the encyclicals of Pope Leo XIII and Pius XI, uh, the, the idea is that the wife should not be forced to go out and work. Because in those days, I mean, uh, women really did want to raise their families. They loved their children. This was their life. And uh, they didn't look upon their families as burdens. They looked upon them as their vocation in life. Uh, very purpose, as it were, that they had to serve, had to, had to, uh, serve God in this life. Uh, nowadays, that has been destroyed, largely, in the minds and hearts of many women because of leftism and, the uh, again, the New World Order people. But, um, you know, a wife working outside the home was considered to be an evil at that time if she had children at home, to take care of, especially. Um, and women uh, didn't necessarily look forward to getting out of their homes, have careers, and um, be kind of, you know, just female men. Uh, but now this is what we've raised. This is what we've educated the, women, the, the, the girls to go into these women. Um, and they look upon, in many cases, family as being an intolerable burden. And as, this, as the leftists like to tell them, a, a real slavery. Marriage slavery, they, they call it. 
Um, but the result of all this is to poison the very um, the very fabric of, of any society, and it just disintegrates. Their purpose, of course, is to do what the communists uh, did, the Bolsheviks did in Russia. They wanted to break down all family loyalties. They wanted all loyalty to be to the Communist Party. The same with Communist China. They did everything they could. It was very hard in China because the family is such a traditionally a, a close unit. Uh, it was very hard to break up the Chinese family, but this was the goal of Mao and his communists. Uh, because all allegiance has to be to the party. <clears throat> the party has to be everyone's god. And so it's that, uh, you know, the, the son will betray his mother, betray his father, <coughs> betray his grandparents, brothers and sisters, anybody who, who voices any objection or any, uh, even questions the party. The party must, must come first. That's the kind of society the leftists want. That's the kind of new world order the leftists want to create. Uh, they're very far along the road in doing it. And what uh, Signora Tedeschi pointed out is they're now using the Vatican, the modernists, and Francis, uh, and, the, and the podium that Francis is giving them to, to uh, again, push, further push the, the drive toward this new world order of complete and absolute tyranny. Father, another question here. Is it ever permissible... By the way, he called it a new religion. He called it... A Gnostic environmentalism right. would be the new world religion mm -hmm. of this new world order. Father, is it ever permissible to pay less than the Catholic wage if the uh, the work being done would be at a loss if one were paying that Catholic wage? He gives the example here of a uh, of a landscaping business where if one were to pay the Catholic wage, they would have to pay significantly higher than all the other landscaping companies out there because they mm -hmm. could get they, their bids not paying the Catholic wage could be so much lower. So is it permissible to uh, to pay less than the Catholic wage in an instance like that? If otherwise, there would be no job. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, really, I mean, if a business can pay a, a just wage, which means in the, in the mind of the church that... Um, it pays what it, its employees actually need to survive and to foster a family, if that's their vocation. That is, should be their goal. That should be the goal of every employer. And that's what they should do if they can. Sure. Um, if they want to decide, well, I'll be, I'm not going to pay any wages that would support a family, so I'm only going to hire single individuals who have no, <coughs> no one else to support. I'm going to put them on subsistent wages. That's the kind of employee they're going to get. But that's not thinking like a Catholic employer. Okay. If he says, I can't afford to hire anyone else, um, like fast food restaurants, you know, they employ multiple uh, teenage kids, you know, or <coughs> basically just looking to make a, um, save some money up uh, over the summer work or something. That's a different matter. But, uh, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole niche. Right. Uh, but I mean, when you're talking about people who actually um, are in, a, in the want to marry and have families and so on, and they have to provide for these families. Well, employers do have to consider themselves responsible for the welfare of their employees and they cannot make them wage slaves legitimately. Okay. okay. 
Father, it seems that you've already touched on this this aspect a bit, but uh, when you talk about the socialists and the communists wanting to control every aspect of, of our lives, but how do you feel, Father, how do you feel about minimum wage in our country? He says here that, um, you know, it could be viewed as a good, a compassionate thing, so government mandating a minimum wage seems to be the same as just trying to require a just wage. The problem with minimum wage, though, unfortunately, is it, it doesn't distinguish between those who need and those who don't. But not only that, it, it is one of those, uh, even, even when it is well intended, unfortunately, it has consequences that uh, completely um, undo whatever benefit, often. This is my understanding, anyway. I mean, when, when employers uh, are forced to pay a, a, a wage uh, that requires them to, to simply lay people off, um, fire half their workforce or 10% of their workforce and force the rest of them to take up the slack and work harder and work more for the, <coughs> for the wages they're earning, you're going to inevitably leave a lot of people uh, out of work. I mean, employers often have no choice, I understand, but to lay people off because they can't afford to hire more. They'll hire as many people you think, as they can reasonably afford to pay. And um, if you force them to pay more, then there are those who will applaud, but the ones certainly who are laid off are not the ones who are going to applaud this. And uh, so the benefits are, are actually, um, uh, well, it's a two-edged sword, you might say, or actually, uh, what's a better expression, uh, like shooting oneself in the foot. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> government does this, and you know, government does this because it plays well in Peoria, and people want to vote for this, and they think the government's on their side, the poor wage earner. Whereas actually, the government again wants to control the economy, and this is more of politicians and bureaucrats controlling the economy, which affects you know hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And uh, by their short-sightedness and also by their own uh, willingness to barter policy um, for public favor and votes, uh, they can really do an enormous amount of damage. So, um, you know, one has to be very careful when they look very carefully at uh, government programs and see, well, uh, is this really something in fact, that is beneficial to the society, or is it, does it do damage? And I think, um, well, there's a very, very good case made that uh, the pushing and pushing and pushing, uh, raising and raising the minimum wage uh, hurts a lot more people than it helps. And Father, I, I always thought it was rather laughable too. You know, they will try and liberals will try and talk about this living wage mm -hmm. idea and that that should be the mandated minimum <laughs> wage. And yet this wage that they're pushing for, I believe right now, is around $15 an hour. Mm. And any anyone that lives mm. in America today knows that you can't support a family off of $15 an hour. That's mm. It's not even close to, to mm. possible. So if, they, if this is really what they're trying to mandate is a minimum wage, which is a real living wage, which enables mm. a man or woman to support their family, uh, mm. then we're going to get to a point that's absolutely unsustainable. We're going to have mm. fast food workers eventually making $100,000 a, a year, and it's just, it's not a sustainable model. Well, it feeds inflation. It, it, it debases the money supply. 
I know we have a government that can borrow itself in oblivion, so you know they just can just can see, keep pumping money into circulation, you know, which uh, inflates the money supply and deflates the value of the money. I mean, the, the base is the currency, and then you have wind up having to pay more and more and more for people to buy the same things. Right. Look at Venezuela. I mean, how many, whatever I forget what their uh, currency is, but I mean they they need thousands and thousands of them to buy a loaf of bread if they can get it. If they can even get a loaf of bread uh, to buy, and so um, uh, this is what socialism does, and this is what government control does of the economy. Um, this is what the new world is, order is all about, though. Um, so uh, that when you have public policy, uh, um, you know, asserting its its. Uh, asserting these ideas, and you have politicians asserting the rights to make these decisions, and the public lets them do it, even applauds them, well, they're going to get more and more applause from those who want the government to uh, mandate, that, to give them what they want, uh, because it's the only way they can get it, they think, okay, well, then they're not willing to work for it necessarily, uh, some are, some aren't. But in any case, when people can, as Alexis de Tocqueville wrote back in the 1800s, uh, when people in any society can vote themselves out of the public largesse by voting for politicians who will promise, we'll, we'll give you out of public monies this, we'll give you that, we'll give you the other things, by taking it away from other people mm -hmm. and giving it to you, well, I mean, th there you have spelled the destruction of that society. Uh, you're encouraging... Uh, Every vice in the population. Um, basically, you've, you've encouraged thievery to just take what you want uh, by voting for politicians who will take it for you in the name of the law. And um, this is where you get the, the proletariat uh, just basically uh, uh, taking through politics and politicians' greed um, to stay in power, uh, the uh, taking from the bourgeoisie, if you want to put it in Marxist terms, <clears throat> but they can do it perfectly legally by uh, by finding corrupt politicians who are willing to pander. Well, Father, this has been a great great discussion. We've got just a few minutes left, and I I wanted to to end with this thought. Uh, this this week there are a lot of beautiful feast days in the church. Just on, on Sunday we celebrated the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene. Um, we next have uh, the feast of uh, St. James the Apostle, and we also have St. Anne, these three biblical figures, three, three great saints. And uh, Father, I'd like to ask, what, what made these three saints so lovable? Why did God love these three individuals so much, and what, what does the church want us to learn from them? Because if you think about uh, perhaps these are, are three of the most uh, blessed individuals in, in the history of mankind. You know, you think of, of St. Anne. She is the grandmother of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God-made man. She's the mm -hmm. mother of the mother of God. Uh, you mm -hmm. have St. Mary Magdalene. She was was freed from, from being possessed by seven devils. She, she's, our Lord spoke so highly, so favorably, so lovingly of her. In the, in the Gospels, he said, wherever this Gospel is preached throughout the whole entire world, throughout the rest of time, her name will be mentioned, and what she has done will be remembered, will be put down there. Then you have St. James, who is not only one of the twelve apostles chosen by our Lord, but he was one of the three favored apostles of our Lord. He was taken to see the transfiguration of our Lord, and he was 
brought into the the Garden of Olives there during our Lord's Passion. So, Father, what what lessons does the Church want us to learn from these three biblical saints during this week? Well, how long do we have? Right? A few minutes. Two minutes. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's, that's a big order for a very little space of time, right? I think you can do it. Uh, well, I would just say because, uh, you know, God gave these saints great graces and they responded to them. Okay. God gives graces and not everyone does cooperate with them. Sure. But obviously these saints, uh, St. Mary Magdalene and St. Anne, St. James, three very different individuals and three very different uh, roles, of service to our Lord, uh, but they were all wholeheartedly um, devoted to the will of God. Uh, St. Mary Magdalene was loved very much. In fact, when you read the Gospel for the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, it uh, talks about how she has she loves much because she has been forgiven much. But our Lord also says at the, toward the end of the Gospel, she has been forgiven much because she has loved much. So it sounds as though we have sort of a circular thought here, right? But I think what that points out is that when God gives the grace, the individual cooperates with it and responds to that grace, and that draws another grace. And so the gratitude and the love uh, that you know, is awakened in the soul of a Mary Magdalene for the mercy of our Lord, opens her heart now to receive uh, the next grace. And the next grace awakens, and that grace awakens such a great love and gratitude in her, that opens her soul even more largely for the next grace. And so there is kind of a, 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 a conversation back and forth there, being grace and the soul being constantly raised up like rungs of a ladder through the echelons of love for God. We see that in Mary Magdalene. And, uh, you know, our Lord pointed out it was, it was that great love that she had, uh, prompted by a, a, a great gratitude, you know, which made her one of the greatest sinners in the history of mankind. I mean, she is emblematic of sinners, right? Let's face it, being... Uh, exercise of seven devils by our Lord himself, standing next to our Blessed Mother, whose innocence itself at the foot of the cross. The juxtaposition of these two figures is, is astounding. Here's Mary Magdalene standing with St. John the Evangelist, St. John the Apostle, uh, and the Blessed Mother Mary. And she has a place there at the foot of the cross. Um, if any one of us were to say, okay, am I represented by the Blessed Mother there? I'd say, well, yes, I am, of course. Am I represented by St. John the Apostle? Yes, in the way I am. Am I represented by St. Mary Magdalene? I'd say, oh, yes, I certainly am represented by St. Mary Magdalene. <laughs> because, um, you know, she is definitely a repentant sinner in need of great mercy. And uh, one could not contrast the person of the Blessed Mother of God with Mary Magdalene, one could not find a more astounding contrast between those two individuals. And yet what brought them together there was a great love. And the common great love they had for our Lord. That's what unifies them. St. James would be the same thing. I mean, he laid down his life for our Lord. And um, it is, you know, he came to love him. We have every reason to believe with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength and fulfilled the first great commandment. Um, he could not love as our Blessed Mother loved, 
right? No one can. She had great, the great powers of loving. Uh, but he loved our Lord with a the, the love that a martyr has to have in order to give everything right? to our Lord. And uh, the same... Uh, the same with Saint Anne. I mean, uh, the astounding love that she had there—it's um, not spoken of greatly in the gospel, but we know it's truly there. I mean, here is the the woman who was chosen to be the mother and the mentor of the mother of God, and so um, you know, she, having had that influence over the the soul of Our Lady. Let's face it, Mary brought Jesus into the world, our Lord and Savior, as the Son of God, we know that. But St. Anne brought this first sinless being into the world. Mary, conceived without sin, was conceived in the womb of St. Anne. And that puts her in a unique position that all the human race, no one else had done that. No one else in the history of mankind had conceived a child without original sin. Even Eve, the first woman, was created without it, but she did not um, her first child was conceived with original sin. St. Anne was the first human being to conceive a child who came into the world who was not an enemy of God and um, by sin. And so we, we see these three great saints brought together here. And all we can see is that uh, they, uh, each, and each one of them represents a tremendous love for God and a special role in fulfilling God's will here on earth for the salvation of, of souls. Um, so, uh, that's more than two minutes, I guess. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's very beautiful, yeah. though, Father. Thank, thanks for being well, here tonight. I appreciate your time. We have a reason to be devoted to all of these. St. Mary Magdalene's Feast Day is the anniversary of my uh, first solemn mass after my ordination. Mm. And this uh, July 22nd, St. Mary Magdalene's Feast Day was the anniversary of my 40th the 40th anniversary, I should say, the 40th anniversary of my first solemn mass. So I have a, a special reason to have a devotion to St. Mary Magdalene also. It's interesting to note that you have these two sisters, St. Mary Magdalene and St. Martha, right? We read about them in the Gospels, right? And the, the two sisters ha are a week apart. They're an octave apart. It's like St. Martha's feast day is on the octave day of St. Mary Magdalene's feast day. So <clears throat> it's interesting the church has kind of brought them together to frame that week. The two sisters, uh, the two sisters are kind of beginning and ending that, that octave of days. Mm -hmm. yep. So uh, that just mirrors the fact that they're together in heaven. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Yeah. Done. Yep. Thank you. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.